Hello and welcome to this episode of Superhero Ethics. You know, this podcast started with conversations about Batman and with a new Batman movie coming out, we're going to look back at some of the older cinematic versions of Batman to find out who is our Batman? What are the ethical questions that Batman raises and what are we looking forward to to be discussed in this new movie? And today we're talking about what was my first Batman movie. I think Paul was Paul's as well, Batman 89 with Michael Keaton and Jack Nicholson. All that and more after a commercial break. We have no control over. Welcome back. I'm Matthew, your host. As I said, I'm joined by Paul Hoppy. Uh, Paul, when I suggested this to you, you did not seem sad about having a reason to rewatch the Michael Keaton Batman movies. Yeah. Um, this, I'm not sure whether it's literally the first Batman movie that I saw. Obviously, there was the one in the 60s, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and I had watched that TV show, but I think I watched more of that TV show after this. I'm not certain. But, yeah. uh, you know, I, I love this Batman movie. Um, you know, I mean, we'll get into what about this version of the character, you know, we, we, we love and maybe don't love as much, but, um, it it was the first like really dark superhero movie, I think. Yeah. You know? And, uh, to me, it, it just, it felt like it was doing its thing. You know, Mm -hmm. it didn't feel like it was trying to do a thing to do a thing. It felt like it was Tim Burton being like, this is the thing we're going to do and then doing it really well. Yeah, um, you know, I watched this movie when I was 12 years old, and by the time I was 14 or 15, I was pretty deeply enmeshed in the goth world in my high school. I'm not saying it's the only reason, but this definitely, like, it introduced <laughs> me to these ideas and, and, and just, like, the darkness of it, the feel of it. It was so different than anything I'd seen. Um, and I want to get into that, but let's just actually start by backing up a second. Part of why I wanted to do this is because... You know, if you do a, a search by topics and like uh, if you do a keyword search on our website for the different things that we've come up with, you go to Batman, an awful lot of episodes come up. Batman is the character, the story, the the world is one that we have returned to again and again and again uh, when we're discussing superhero ethics. And part of that, I think, is because it's for both of us, one of our favorite stories and one that it, it is, it has a lot to talk about. But I think there's also some reasons why, and it's probably not unconnected to the fact that it's one of our favorites, um, that we keep talking about Batman and the Batman world in ethical terms. What do you think it is? Why do we keep coming back to Batman? I mean, for me, like, Batman's just always been, not always been, I'll take that back. When I was very little, Superman was my favorite hero, (laughs) superhero. Um, But, you know, since I was somewhat older, um, you know, just Batman's a character that I've always liked a lot, but also I I do think that there's a, um, I think Batman spends a lot of time thinking, maybe not a lot of time, but time, like thinking about sort of the best thing to do and then Mm -hmm. trying to do that thing, Yeah, you know, and what a person thinks is the best thing to do is, you know, subjective. Right. Um, but while, you know, but while Batman, while Bruce Wayne has a ton of money, and so Batman has a bunch of wonderful toys, so to speak, um, I think kind of not having superpowers, having power in a way that, you know, humans can actually have power on our Earth, right. um, is, it's, you know, what one could or would do with that, I think, is in some ways... Um, not even necessarily more interesting question, but like a more relevant question to our yeah. lives to some extent. Yeah, I, I think it's really true. And to me, there's a couple of things there, but just starting with that last thing, you know, Superman is, there are scientific leaps to make to be able to believe a Superman could exist. You know, right. Wonder Woman, all these things are, you know, great powers that they don't exist in our world. Everything that happens in Batman, in many versions of it, could happen in our own world. Um, and on some metaphorical level do happen, you know, mm-hmm. to some extent. And I think to me, that's one of the things that I really love about it. I also think a part of it is you're kind of getting at this, like the questions Batman asks and that the Batman world asks everything in the Superman world, at least as it's often portrayed on film. I think some comic books go deeper. And as we talked about, some of the animated yeah. movies go deeper with Superman. But for the most part, the world of Superman is fairly black and white. There's good and there's evil, and it's pretty clear who's which. And, you know, the big blue Boy Scout is your friend and your ally and will always come to help you. Right. 
Batman, one of the things in the world is that, you know, if you're being robbed and Batman comes along and beats up the mugger, you're probably just as scared in this <laughs> world, you know, and that the questions of like, is Batman helping? Is Batman part of the problem? How much of this is Bruce Wayne's psychological trauma that he's acting out about the death? Of, like, there's just so much complexity, I think, to the Batman world. And and I think that's that really lends itself to the questions we like to talk about. Yeah, I agree. And I think those things can be present in like Superman stories or, or any other, you know, hero stories, but um, aren't always. Right. And then I think the last thing is that the rogues gallery, you know. Oh, um, yeah. Yeah. What, what do you think it is about the rogues gallery as well that makes the Batman stories so good for the kind of story, t- kind of podcasting we do? Um, I mean, Batman just has, first of all, like really interesting villains, but also very often relatable villains. I mean, I'd say Joker's less an example of this, mm-hmm. but there's a good number of Batman villains who, you know, have had some sort of bad past, some, you know, some sort of conflict in their past something that happened to them um, that they might be sort of responding to in some way and also several of them are doing what they think is the best thing to do you know right and uh you you know i feel like you don't get that with all villains all the time and you don't get Mm -hmm. it with all batman villains i i feel like a lot of spider-man villains are actually kind of similar in a way you know there's like some meme about uh was it batman villains or like all drama students who never took humanities and 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 the Spider-Man is is science students who never took humanities or something like that. That sounds quite possible, yeah. <laughs> and I feel like it's a meme created maybe by people who took humanities too seriously themselves. Um, or over, <laughs> overvalued how much good they think a particular sort of education might do. But, uh, but I feel like it's hard is in the right place. And, yeah. you know, it definitely, uh, Batman villains have a, a flair for the dramatic Yes. <laughs> in, in a way that to me feels like credible, you know, it like, it doesn't. I, I, I did find yeah, it by the way. Sure. Teaching STEM without teaching the human STEM science, right, technology, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, engineering, mathematics, teaching STEM without teaching the humanities is how you get Spider-Man villains. Teaching theater without teaching the humanities is how you get Batman villains. Right. I, right. I like that. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I, I, I guess I don't value teaching the humanities as much, but or rather, I think people specifically overvalue the educational system, but that's a whole different thing. Learning, yeah, everything, learning <laughs> everything, uh, yes. absolutely. Um, but but yeah, there is this flair for the dramatic amongst Batman villains, and it feels integral to their character, not mm-hmm. sort of to me like some put on air. It feels like yeah. compelling, you know. Yeah. most of the time. I mean, you know, not every not every iteration is, is <laughs> my favorite. But Schwarzenegger's uh, Dr. Freeze might not be quite as leaves, sympathetic as the one yeah, from yeah, the kind of animated leaves, show. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Kind of leaves the uh, the essence of the character yeah. uh, out. And I like that. And especially I think I like the idea that, because you were saying most of these villains, like something terrible happened to them, something traumatic often. And, you know, we said that like Batman, like his story is based in childhood trauma. And I think that's part of why he often identifies with them mm-hmm. in some level. And, you know, especially in the animated series, they go into this in a couple episodes, especially with Harley and with um, not Crocodile Man. Um, Killer Croc? Not no, not, not Killer, Killer Croc. Croc. Um, the zo- the zo- G- Grundy. Oh, Grundy. Solomon Grundy. Yeah, there's yes. episodes where it's, it's clear that like there's kind of a sense of like – Batman knows that he's more similar to these villains than he is to most normal people, you know, because they've all had these like horrible things happen to them. They see the world as being fundamentally different. He just like is able to take it in a different direction. Yeah. Yeah. I think he can relate to them a lot and he has a lot of empathy and sympathy for them and, mm-hmm. um, you know, and, and cares about them on some level yeah. that you don't see all, um, all, all characters doing with their mm-hmm. their villains, you know. Um, there is a great Flash moment in the the Justice League animated series where where Flash kind of gets to be that guy. Yeah, you know? um, it's like now take your medicine and then turn yourself into the cops, and you know we'll we'll talk about mm-hmm. this next week. And it's, but uh, but that is something that I, I think of as in terms of things I like about Batman or versions of Batman that I really like. That's that's part of it. Yeah. Definitely. A big part of it. 
so let's get into this movie itself. Uh, we talked about how much we really liked it. And I think, for me at least, part of it is just because it is that first one I saw in the theaters. You know, I'd seen the Batman 66 uh, TV show, but it was so – that's it's so slapstick and sort of screwball comedy. Yeah. And not dark at all in the nah. way this one was. Um, it, and it's funny because as I rewatched it, especially the end – there is so much that this version of Batman does that is very much not my Batman. Right. Um, that we'll get to, but there's just so much about it that I that I I love, and I, and I want to start with the mood and feel because I kind of feel like I'm curious if you agree with this. You know, we'll talk about like which actor is the best Bruce Wayne, which actor is the best Batman. I think that Tim Burton's Gotham is my Gotham, if that mm, makes sense. You know, okay. like this feels yeah. like the best depiction of Gotham. That I can imagine, just in that it is so dark. It's, it, it seems like it's it, it, it. You get a. It's a very comic book feel. Like this doesn't feel like a real world, but it also feels very believable. What what's, what's your take on kind of the mood and feel that Tim Burton sets? Yeah, um, I mean, I really like the Gotham TV show Gotham because yeah. it has uh, my high school and a lot of the aerial shots. Yeah, but, that's fair. <laughs> but and I think my building that I grew up in. But uh, but this Gotham is sort of. To me, it's the most iconic on-screen Gotham, um, particularly live-action Gotham, you know. And I do feel like the city is a character, and it's this sort of like, a lot of it feels like 1970s, early 1980s New York City, um, you know, which I grew up in. And then it also feels like 1920s Art Deco kind of. It's got this throwback feel. Mm -hmm. I believe it was actually filmed in uh, England. The, oh, or, okay. or throughout the UK, um, the the whole movie. So that like makes it feel a little not like exactly like New York because it's not filmed in New York like Gotham is, right? right. Um, but it it feels it's like so dark, like literally dark. But mm-hmm. I feel like I can always see what's going on. You know, yeah. like they use sufficient amounts of lighting. The goal isn't to leave us confused, except for like when Batman sort of slips away and sort of like you know, horror movie antagonist fashion, right? And mm-hmm. we're, we're left with uh, whoever the actual antagonists are, but we're kind of in their perspective of like, like the first time Batman shows up in a movie, you know, and they, they do kind of a head fake, right? And yeah. they, they show the parents and a kid and we're like, oh, this is going to be the backstory. And then it's not. And then Batman shows up. But like, there are so many, like, it feels like natural shadows in the city, but also yeah. at night, a lot of light, the way a big city can feel right. like almost like daytime at night, but still have a darkness. I don't know. I It's also got this industrial feel to it as well. It, it really does. And in some ways it being shot in London, in England is not totally off base. Just in that, like I, I think of like the Gothic idea, like the Gothic look as really, uh, you know, be like often being like originating in like 19th century London. Right. So it's like a little bit fitting there. Mm-hmm. It's clearly very much an American story. Um, and yeah, I just I think that everything is done in shadow. A lot of the shots come out as fairly close to like monochromatic, you know, like it's just right. a lot of like grays and dark blues and blacks and silvers that that all kind of blend into each other in ways that I think are it, it helps you understand his camouflage powers and his disappearance powers, sure. but also just really helps to set the tone. Yeah. Along with things like like the press, you know, um the the Knox character he right. seems like something out of like a 1920s or 1950s idea of the press you know yeah. um and the like the Vicky Vale intro you know with her legs on his desk is straight out of detective noir yeah. kind of things yeah noir is definitely a very applicable word to this batman you know and right. basically any batman that i really love is always going to have this noir feel and yeah. to me that almost sort of implies you know, the detective aspect of Batman, mm-hmm. you know, yeah, or rather so. it pairs with it very well. Yeah. And and we get some of that. And so that's probably a good way to transition into how do you feel about Keaton's take on Batman? I mean, it's my, my favorite live action Batman. I think Christian yeah. Bale did a great job. Um, but there's, there's like a darkness and like a confusion and innocence to mm-hmm. Keaton's Batman and and Bruce Wayne, you yeah. know, like I feel like I can see the child there, kind mm-hmm. of like the, you know, when he was a kid and his parents got shot. I feel like that's always with him, and it's in the performance just throughout. Yeah, but that's that doesn't dominate it. That's not the entirety of it. 
Um, and there's a lot of humor, too. Mm-hmm. To me, the scene that I first think of is when he has that date with Vicki Vale, you know, mm-hmm. and they're oh, yeah. at opposite ends of that huge table. Like, to me, that feels like a teenager who's been left alone for the first time, you know? And right. It's funny, this isn't an origin story in a lot of ways, but it also does feel like this, like, this is not, Christian Bale is like the womanizing bat, mm-hmm. Bruce Wayne. Right. This feels like this is the first date he's been on, you know? And like, yeah. yeah, there is that kind of an innocence to it. And there is a certain level of, he's very awkward as Bruce Wayne. And yeah. I, it's so not what I think of as Bruce Wayne, but I love it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's this loneliness and this awkwardness and... But still a confidence, you know, it's not, it's not mm-hmm. an awkwardness from a lack of confidence. It's, it's an awkwardness from sort of a lack of familiarity with, um, you know, what quote unquote normal people do. Like there's, th- there's that scene where he's trying to explain to Vicky, like, you know, you know how normal people, they get up and then they go downstairs and go to breakfast yeah. and then, <laughs> then they go, they get in their car. Like he's trying to explain what normal people do, but it's clear he has no idea what, you know, yeah. normal people do. And, um, yeah, that, that scene in the dining room, I, I, I always loved, like that was, that was one of the things that really got me in the movie in the first place. Um, but I also noticed on this viewing that, uh, there's only six chairs at that giant table and they're, Mm -hmm. they're spaced, you know, uh, very properly socially distanced, you know, so that would be a good, good, uh, (laughs) big meal table for these days. You know, given the, the aerosol weapons that happened later. That's true. That's that's true. I mean, this, this movie also demonstrates that, you know, masks can be very important. Yeah. It's funny the way you described it, what, what came to me, and I guess this is literally probably true. He sounds like a homeschooled kid. You know, right, someone yeah. who like, and well, I, I said like, maybe, I don't know. And, and to be clear, like, I think many homeschooled people can be very, very socially grace, you know, have, have very, be very socialized. But especially when the movie was made, like I knew people who were homeschooled and often like, yeah, they had very little social contact outside of their parent right. or guardian figure. And there was often like a confidence, but also a like, oh, weird. Like, what do other people do? And yeah, that I, I think probably that is like this is probably not a Bruce Wayne who went to high school like a normal kid. Right. He was raised by Alfred. He had all of this. Yeah. And I mean, honestly, that's an aspect of Batman that I've always related to. Like, yeah, I wasn't homeschooled. I think I probably should have been. But like, you know, I I don't know. Human society baffles me. I'm like, yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I'm just most of the time I'm like, what's wrong with people? <laughs> like, you know, and like I care about people like Bruce Wayne cares about people. And like wants right. to help them or whatever, but is also sort of like like that scene where they're, they're um, the Joker and the Joker's men are all shooting all these gangsters up on the steps of the courthouse. He's kind of just like walking aimlessly, like like why are you doing this? And yeah. like that's sort of I don't know. That's that's how I feel about humans as a species, yeah, <laughs> or at least as societies. <laughs> I've often thought that a lot of our friendship is that we both have an awful lot of like I don't understand this about people, but they don't fully overlap. That's so something I can explain. Yes. Something you can yes. explain. That's correct. Um, one one other scene also that comes to mind for me about that uh, part of Batman is when Knox and Vicky Vale are in the armory and they're both kind of making fun of Bruce Wayne, and he comes in and overhears them. And it's you could see that scene playing out in a couple ways. Mm-hmm. It could be. That he really feels embarrassed and defensive. It could be that he wants to be like, you know, F you, you're in my house. Instead, there's neither of that. Yeah. He just like, they ask a question at one point that they don't know. And he just answers. And they're like, how do you, well, it's my, I, I bought it in Japan. It's yeah. Japanese. Yeah. Um, and just the lack of ego in that is something I really love. Like, he's not trying to like show them up. He's not trying to be like, look, I caught you. He's just like. Yeah, okay. You had to, you had to say, it, but now I'm answering your question. Right. Yeah, he just doesn't care what they yeah. think of him, you know. Yeah. He's just like that's yeah, I got that in Japan. Like not like I got that in Japan, <laughs> you know, but yeah. like it is it's so sort of flatly stated and they're kind of awkward at first, but then like it's fine, you know. Yeah. And I I find that refreshing. Like I I feel like the humor was in sort of the setup. And mm-hmm. the expectation of the way that things might go. But then that, yeah. you know, that was subverted, I think, rather nicely. Yeah. And I think it plays out nicely in his relationship with Vicky Vale. And, and you know, in fairness, Vicky Vale is not the most developed of uh, women characters in superhero movies. Probably, I would say, on the, the bottom side. 
Um, and there's one moment that I, I, I saw and I was like, ooh, yeah, 80s. You can't do that today. <laughs> was where it where she, he shoved her into a chair? Well, that actually, there's two moments. No, I meant where she's like, oh, I'm so drunk. And he's like, yeah, oh, I'm going right, to kiss you right. now and we're going to go to bed. Yeah. It's like, okay. Like, I I think what they were, I think they were trying to present it in a way that she'd had a couple drinks and she was stumbling. Like, well, even that, like. Yeah, it's it, it's presented in a way that I don't think they're trying to show that it, she can't consent. But looking at it today, I'm like, I wish you were a lot clearer about that. But sure, you know. But but other than that, like I do think that you know it. He doesn't ever seem like he's using her the mm-hmm. way sometimes you get the sense that Bruce Wayne feels like he has to to keep up his public image. You know, right. and there's a great scene about like she wants she wants him to let her in, and and you can tell that like he 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 really wants to as well, and he does. Yeah, he's like, I, you know, I'd, I'd, um, I'd like to try, you know. And mm-hmm. He's like, but he's out there right now, and I've got to go to work. And that yeah. like, that like sums up like Bruce Wayne's relationship with people to me. Yeah, you know, is like you're someone that I would like to try to have a relationship with, but I've got to go to work. And yeah. like then at the end, like okay, Joker's gone, and you know. Maybe they they make it work. Uh, spoilers: They don't. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> actually, basically everything that happens in this movie, I think, is ignored in the next. But um, one th- one thing that I really liked about when they met, um, you know, Bruce meets Vicky and compliments her on what she does, like on yeah. her skill of photography. And then Knox is like, uh, you know, is like, oh, but what about her eyes? You know, mm-hmm. and Bruce is sort of like, yeah, okay, you know, and yeah. and it's like. You know, I mean, I, I think she's very attractive, right? But, like, mm-hmm. he, from the beginning, um, like, sees her as a person, you know, yeah. beyond just, like, an attractive person. Which is in real contrast to Knox, I think. Exactly. And, you know, and, like, Knox, again, in that very kind of, like, 50s, you know, journalist, you know, not even yeah. 50, but 50s kind of, like, screwball romance, like... I don't think he's ever crossing the line into being, like, a flat-out just, like, awful person. But clearly, like, he just keeps hounding her about dating her. He keeps, you know, commenting on her physical appearance. And she's kind of being, like, playful back at him. And you can talk about, like, you know, in the workplace, is that because that's what she has to do versus what she wants to do? And I think it's all very concerns. But, yeah, to me, like, the way Bat- the way Bruce Wayne treats her is in marked contrast to the way Knox. And I think I think Knox is kind of a stand-in for this is how men treat her in her work. Right. You know? Yeah, for and, sure. And Wayne definitely does not. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I, I like that Knox doesn't kind of go past a certain point with that, which mm-hmm. you could easily see, you know, being a thing. Yeah. Um, it, it definitely feels like not good. Right. Yeah. But like also they kind of let that just sort of like die on the vine. And then it's like, OK, they're colleagues. And, yeah. you know, he does value what she does. Um, partially because she's like the first person who ever valued what he wants to do, which yeah. is like you also know, true. research on Batman. And so, what do you think about Keaton as Batman? We talked to him as Bruce Wayne. What, what's your what's your feeling? His take of Batman? I mean, I think he has the best delivery of the "I'm Batman" line, like ever. Mm-hmm. It's like just the flattest, like just a statement of fact. It it goes along with that, like I bought it in Japan, you know. Yeah. Like sort of like just the facts, man, but like with. With some personality, but not, like, projecting a lot. And, um, you know, I like that this Batman does a lot of... It's not, like, super uh, acrobatic kind of martial arts. It's, like, pretty simple. You know, I mean, the fight choreography isn't exceptional, (laughs) right? As far as fight choreography goes. But, like, for 1989, you know, something that's not um, specifically a martial arts movie. I mean, I think it's good, you know, and... They there's a lot this. more kicking. Normally, yeah. you know, I just expect just punching. Right, yeah. There's there's a nice uh, sidekick in there and, you know, mm-hmm. some other stuff. And um, so, yeah, I, I I really like Keaton's presence as Batman. And then mm-hmm. also the sort of athleticism that they project, I, f- I feel is like pretty easily buyable, you know, yeah. um, in a way that like if they tried to do some of the stuff that like Daredevil does or some of the stuff that... Um, that they do in the animated show sometimes, uh, it might be a little, a little like, mm, like really in, in that suit, you know? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like he's, he's got this very sort of linear, straightforward kind of fighting style that, mm-hmm. uh, I think really works. And mostly yeah. just like, I, I feel like he's not flamboyant, but he is menacing, mm-hmm. you know? And so, yeah, I, I think his Batman and Bruce Wayne 
uh, are both excellent and go together really well as well. Like yeah. they fit in a puzzle. Yeah, I think that's very true because, yeah, this doesn't – he doesn't necessarily strike me as the person who, you know, went off to Asia to like train in combat and right. all over the world the way like a Christian Bale Batman. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, I, I like the understatedness. I – I think that this is a Batman who's aware that he's meant to be a figure of horror, you know, right. to, like the, the, I almost said Qui-Gon Jinn, the, <laughs> the, uh, yeah, the Ra's al Ghul line from Batman Begins about, you know, you need to be a creature of theatricality, you know, yeah. like, I think this Batman understands that all the sort of dramatic, like, you know, we have to remember that they're criminals because in those first scenes, you almost kind of feel sympathy for the bad guys as right. Batman is just sort of dropping in out of the shadows and terrifying them. Yeah, absolutely. It's 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 shot like obviously they're the antagonists when they're they're with the family, right? And the guys like mm-hmm. pointing a gun at them and but then afterwards like it you know, Batman's the antagonist to them, right? And right. and we're it's filmed in a way that we can feel it that way. And um I think you know, I think Batman Begins does more um sort of exposition about the concept of striking fear into the hearts of criminals or whatever whereas right. this movie like just shows it yeah you know um in a way so. that i think is very effective i mean we can talk about you know quote criminals close quote and you know at some right. point right but um <laughs> How... yeah and there's a couple of things that we're definitely gonna get into but i want to actually just jump into so and there's obviously a lot more about his this version of Batman and especially the ethical choices that he makes that I think we're going to get into because there, there, there's some questions I certainly have. Yeah. But let's just talk about some of the other key things. Uh, Jack Nicholson's Joker. Uh, Jack Nicholson. I, Jack Nicholson. Thank you. A, a golfer, actor. Oh. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I had I loved this movie as a kid. I think I'd seen it maybe one or two times since then, but I hadn't really paid much attention. Uh, certainly not the level of analysis that I bring to things now. I don't like. I I thought of this as like gangster Joker, and mm. I think it definitely is. But the degree that in which it goes into like Joker as social critic and the whole right. thing about like he's an artist now, and he's it, it, it's actually there's a lot similar to the Heath Ledger Joker in ways that I really love. What what's kind of your take on Jack Nelson's Joker? Yeah, I I think there's more similarity than people often um, state there to be. Right. Um, mm-hmm. I I think it's. I mean, it's like way over the top. It it feels like it's somewhere between Heath Ledger's Joker and, um, hold on, uh, what's his name? Back in the day, Jared No. <laughs> oh, uh, uh, Caesar. Caesar Romero, right? Romero. Um, it feels like it's a little bit between Heath Ledger's Joker and uh, Caesar Romero's Joker, mm-hmm. where there's this like. Cesar Romero, by the way, being from uh, Batman 66, the right, TV show. Right, was, where uh, it's like this very, very theatrical character. And not that Ledger's Joker lacks theatricality. He definitely makes a big show of things all the time. But, um, you know, th- this Joker was Gangster Joker, right? Which, yeah. just as an aside, I kind of appreciate that, like, the mob here isn't, like, just like the Italian mob. You know? Mm-hmm. It's like, it's, it's very, you know... Um, it's Grissom and Napier and it's not just like Sicilians. Right, exactly. And it's like, you know, you should have both because the world has both, right? Or many yeah. different. Um, and so so it kind of doesn't just like lean into to that stereotype a whole lot. Um, but like it, he, you know, he takes over kind of all the mob operations and then just decides to do something totally different from what they apparently do. And yeah, I mean, he... He definitely doesn't seem to have some sort of rational plan, you know? Mm-hmm. And it's like, well, he's Joker now, right? And so he's not yeah. just, like, a crime boss. It's like he's gone from a crime boss to whatever it is Joker is. Um, yeah. And, and yeah, I, I do think, like, the whole museum scene, you know, the, like, I make art until someone dies. Like, mm-hmm. it's it's out there and... You know he's you know he's like throwing money off of a blimp, right, or a, off yeah. of a, a float or whatever, and and all the you know it's like you see the response of people, um, and you know poisoning beauty products and stuff. I think is some level of social critique, right, in terms yeah. of like uh, you know um, do you need all these things? Like mm-hmm. you know are they good for you? But 
Um, the One sh- of my favorite scenes yeah. is the, the news uh, report while that scare is going on. So clearly both of them have like no makeup on. Right. You can see just how uncomfortable both of these news anchors are being on camera without any makeup. And it's just so brilliantly done. Yeah, I, I totally agree with that. But also I feel like that's almost like an ad for makeup because they make them also so sort of unpleasant looking. Whereas yeah. like a lot of people without makeup just like still look fine, you know? Yeah. It's like, it's a choice. Like you want to wear makeup? Cool. No problem. You know, you can look different than you do without, mm-hmm. but like that doesn't mean you can't look good without, right? Yeah. Although they also are, I think, without hygiene products, which over right. a certain period of time, you know, maybe maybe that's going to have more of an effect. But like, I think they, they played that up for laughs in a way that I was like, well, actually, if you look at it this way... You know. It's interesting because I, I took a different take from it. I took the take from it of like that the people who we think of in our world as being the most beautiful, mm-hmm. often it's just that they have the most access to right. the products and the surgery and the like weight loss and all this kind of stuff. But yeah, I can see I can see it either way. Yeah, and but I mean, but so that's sort of, I mean, it's saying that, but also then the implications that those things really do all of that work, which like I think is probably overstating the effectiveness. Oh yeah, what, that's fair. you know what I mean. Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. Yeah, I, I think I really like this Joker as well. I think he is still um, – granted, for a long time I hadn't watched the animated series where I said this is my favorite Joker. And then Heath Ledger came along. And, mm. and like, between Heath Ledger – to me, Heath Ledger uh, – Heath Ledger and Mark Hamill and Jack Nicholson are just in a class above everyone else. Even Cesar Romero I think is fantastic and kind of really set the tone in a lot of ways. But just those three I think are so far beyond – um, and, and yeah, there's, it's almost kind of weird to say that the Heath Ledger has more of a plan, but I think he does. He has a sort of well thought out, I'm going to do this and this and this, and it's all going to be to show the ridiculous hypocrisy of all yeah. of this. Whereas Jack Nicholson is more just like, oh yeah, this is all ridiculous. It makes no, he thought he had this like established role in a criminal empire. Then he got sold out by his boss. Uh, and then like he fell into this vat of acid, which again, Safety standards, where's OSHA and Gossam? <laughs> but that's always the concern. And I think for him, it's just more like, yeah, I'm just going to do what, you know, I've got a sort of a plan, maybe. Eh, who the hell cares? Yeah, I feel like the Heath Ledger Joker kind of takes what was sort of planted in seeds in this to, to mm-hmm. another step of being yeah, very overtly. Um, like, it's clear what Heath Ledger's Joker's plan is. Whereas yeah. here, Jack Nicholson's Joker has... A plan but it's not like a plan with a goal it's just sort yeah. of like uh, he's got a point to what he's doing kind of um right but it's also uh not super coherent yeah and so and one fine. thing he also is doing is pointing out the ridiculousness of the police department and the mayor and them trying to sort of hold this celebration even in the midst of everything going wrong Clearly, that's not an issue we can relate to at all today. No, not at all. Um, <laughs> not at all. What's your take on uh, this portrayal of the uh, Harvey Dent and Jim Gordon and, and everything around that? Yeah, I mean, th- it, it's like it's funny that they got Billy D. Williams to play Harvey Dent um, mm-hmm. in like such a kind of incidental role here. Yeah. And then they have, you know, Gordon seems like so kind of. Like, Gordon's actually out running around as police commissioner, like, trying to be at the front of the queue, like, and busts and whatever, which seems yeah. really weird. <laughs> um, it seems, like, pretty useless, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and then, then the mayor's always palling around with them, like, and I, I feel like, I think there was a scene where he's, like, trying to, the mayor's trying to tell Dent to do something. I'm like, is that what DAs do? Um, maybe there was something else. But it it was... Yeah, I, I think all of them feel fairly irrelevant, mm-hmm. but th- I think this movie, sort of like the way Nicholson's Joker kind of has a, a social commentary point, but it's not super clear the whole time. I feel like yeah. the three of them kind of show, along with, um, you know, the corrupt cop and then all the corrupt cops who are willing to be like, oh yeah, well this corrupt cop tells us to shoot them, so we'll just shoot them. Right. Like show sort of why that Gotham needs Batman or why there's a place where like there there's, there's something Batman can do that they can't do. Um, Yeah. 
Yeah, and I, I, in some ways I really like it because often it is portrayed as like everyone's corrupt, everyone's on the take. Mm-hmm. Here it's it's this more level of ineptitude almost, yeah. you know, because it's, they all want to play by the rules. They all want to do things the way you're supposed to, and Batman's willing to cross those lines. You know, Batman's willing to cut those corners um, in ways that we can and uh, disagree sure, or disagree sure. with. Sure. But, but, but yeah. like, they're, it's not even just about – it's like that's a thing, but also, like, they don't seem to know what's going on with the poisonings, right? Yeah. Like, they just – they don't figure it out. Like, that seems like CSI Gotham should be on that case, right? Yeah. Like, yeah, it definitely feels like the, the police department is not very well funded, not very well directed. Yeah, well, I'm just going to counter with it's not necessarily funding – um yeah also you true. know just also just true. gonna put that out there it's not always <laughs> about the funding sometimes it's about you know how the structure's been built up and what their actual priorities are so. also very true also very true yeah like it, to me like billy d williams is fun in that role but he's like when i think of harvey dent's like there, there's nothing about that character that reads as, as the harvey dent character in the batman lore you know yeah this jim gordon is kind of like generic inept police person who doesn't want to trust Batman until he realizes he should. Um, and that's fine. I think we're introducing so many important characters in this movie. You know, with the fact that we're not going to get into who actually Dent is and who Gordon is, that that's fine. Yeah, I mean, the disappointing thing to me is that I, I think Billy D. Williams is great and has a minor role here, but obviously we know Harvey Dent is a very important character. And when mm-hmm. they made a third Batman movie, sort of in this series... They had Harvey Dent as a very important character, and right. they recast him with Tommy Lee Jones. Yeah. And so we'll get to that when we get to that. But that that is sort of, I'm like, I would like to see Billy D. Williams as Two-Face. Like, why not? Yeah, I, I really want to know more of the story of that, because my, my hope is that Billy D. Williams didn't want to do it or wasn't no, available, no, but I'm, it. I'm guessing it's not. Yeah, yeah. okay. Yeah. Um, yeah, you know we'll get to that story when we get to that. I mean, yeah. it's... My understanding, the things I've read, is, is right. yeah, okay. is, it was Schumacher that's... was like, no, I don't want to miss that character. So. Uh, very disappointing. Yeah. But, okay. Um, we will get to that. We'll get to that movie for sure. So let's, uh, let's ask kind of what is, I think, one of the central questions about Batman. You know, why does, why does Bruce Wayne Batman? You know, why does he have to do this? Right. And here's where, like, I love the way it's portrayed for most of the movie until the end. Um, and I'm right. curious, like what, what, and I'll get to my objection there, but just at the start, like, what's your take on this sense of like, you know, I have to do my job. The, the, why is Bruce Wayne doing this? I mean, I think it's pretty clearly because Bruce Wayne's parents were murdered in front of him when he was eight years old. And, you know, that had a profound impact on his worldview, yeah. I would say. And, you know, he can't do anything about that specifically. Uh, although I guess in this one, sort of, he can, I guess. Um, but I think his motivation is to not have other kids go through that. To not yeah. have people getting murdered so much, you know. Yeah. And so he's like, I'm going to become Batman to, whether it's to, whether it's overtly to try and kind of scare people, you know, out of doing um, violent acts. Or mm-hmm. whether it's to apprehend them. Um, it's... It seems like that's the motivation, I think, pretty clearly here, um, right. although it's not really overtly stated. Yeah, I, I, I agree with that. I, and I like that in a lot of it, he doesn't seem he doesn't seem angry at them. He wants to protect, which is why the, the last part of it really baffles me to mm-hmm. some extent. I want to get into your thought. And it's kind of funny to me that we both love this Batman when some of the stuff he does seems very like not what we think of as Batman. And yeah. like. There's the killing and there's the use of guns. And I definitely want to get to that. But I just want to start with, like, at the end, you know, he has recognized that Jack Napier, the person who killed his parents, is Joker. And one thing we often talk about, we use Batman as often as the example of justice, not vengeance. You know, right. that for him, it shouldn't be about getting vengeance. This Batman straight up says, I'm going to kill you. You killed my parents. Right. And then, like, you know, and he doesn't directly kill Joker and Joker at one point makes a joke of, you know, I just kill myself, which is, I think, supposed to be kind of relevant. Yeah. But what he does, you know, the, the scene where he, like, Jack Nicholas is trying to, like, float away on a ladder that a helicopter is do, is pulling. Batman attaches this gargoyle to his feet that causes him to fall to his death. 
how do you feel about this 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 approach to Batman? Because this feels very much not like the Batman that we often talk about. So I think we'll get back to the factory and the blunt thing, right? Yeah, because that's very much tied yeah. in here too. Up here, this whole sequence doesn't particularly bother me, actually. Mm-hmm. Uh, because, you know, first he's like, I'm going to kill you. And he's it, it's not like his goal here was to seek vengeance. That's right. just something that kind of, it feels to me like it's sort of like a bonus. You know, yeah. and like that's sort of an emotional thing overriding uh, right. some of his, you know, approach to, to what he does. Um, but then he's fighting Joker and knocks him basically off the roof, right? Yeah. But then, or, or Joker somehow is, is falling off the roof. You know, he reaches to, to try and grab him. Yeah, he does try right? to save him for sure. And so I think the, you know... There is, like, clearly there there are kind of some conflicting things there where, you know, yeah. he's angry at him and, you know, he wants to stop him from hurting other people, but then he also wants to kill him, right? But then he basically decides not to. There's, like, something in him that's like, that's not what I want to do. And then, right. then when he's getting away, he's like, well, I'm not going to let you, let you get away. And it's like, eh, well, he fell to his death. You know, yeah. like, you know, the, maybe, maybe he didn't think the gargoyle would fall off the roof. I don't know. You know, so it is, yeah. it is a little bit one of those movie cop outs where it's like the hero doesn't kill the victim. The victim falls to their death. It's the not as villain, ex- not victim. Huh? Villain, not victim. You were saying victim. Well, they're a victim when they're getting killed. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah, yeah, the hero doesn't kill the villain. <laughs> um, you know, the villain falls to their death, but it's, it's like. <sighs> it, I I don't. There, so yeah. many superhero movies would always kill the the villain at the end of every mm-hmm. movie. It was like I feel like it was this like moralistic, like well, if you did all that horrible stuff, you have to die, you know. Right. And if you don't, you have to go to jail. And and I think that's why some people think that certain movies where like the villain wins or whatever are like edgy. And it's like, well, yeah, having some movies where that happens, cool, you know, or having movies where it's like you, you don't have to. Um, you know, the, the Heath Ledger Joker doesn't fall to his death, right? Yeah. And that's, that's the difference. But here it, it felt like they sort of wanted to show like, okay, he's very angry. He wants vengeance. Then he chooses to try and save him. Eh, but we're going to kill him anyway because that's how we want to end. Okay, yeah. there. You know. Okay, that I, I had not. I think it was just because it shocked me so much yeah. to hear him say that. Sure, that yeah. I kind of missed the connection that he does then save him later. And. And it's funny because in a lot of other versions, uh, Batman Begins and Gotham are the two that come to mind. You have a moment where Bruce Wayne has a chance to kill the person that he holds responsible right. to some extent for his parents' death and chooses not to. Yeah. And it's a very big emotional beat. Mm-hmm. And it's funny here. Like, you're right. Actually, we get the same beat, but just it's not it's we, not point it's not lampshaded at all yeah yeah and like we get the beat and then they punt on it basically at the yeah. end you know <laughs> and so that i'd say is probably one of the more disappointing things in the movie mm-hmm. um yeah, honestly the fair. whole third act is my least favorite part of the movie yeah i think that's very true i think it's very true well and so here's one question i want to ask do you think he had figured out that jack napier was the person who killed his parents before he says the line about, uh, you know, ever dance with the devil in the pale moonlight. No, I think that's okay. when he realized. So first he, you know, he's fighting Jack and Jack falls into the vat. Right. And that's, that's like an accident. Right. right? And then he meets, then he sees Joker and then he's like, wait, that's you. That's Jack Napier. And he makes a mm-hmm. connection. And then he hears him say that. And he's like, what did you say? And, mm. and that's, I think, that's, I think clearly when he realizes, cause there's like two realizations of like, oh, Joker's Jack Napier. Then, oh, Joker, Jack Napier is who killed my parents. Right. You know, it's okay. like multiple. That, that's certainly what I always got in the movie. In so many other versions, Batman is such a detective that you'd think like he may have already figured out that that's who Jack Napier is. That's why I was kind of wondering about oh. it. But yeah, I, I, I think you're right. Yeah. I mean, in, in earlier versions the whole idea was that he didn't know who it was. Right. Right. And they didn't even have a name for the character. And that was sort of the part of the motivation was like, this is an unsolvable crime. And so I'm not going to resolve that. Instead, I'm going to try and resolve every other thing that ever happens. Right. Because, because on some level it's, it's not the individual person. That's the problem. It's the criminality. Exactly. Um, which, 
you know, looking through it today's eyes, you want to be like, well, how about the social conditions that cause the criminality? But again, that's that's not the movie we're watching. So let's talk about the third act, because to me, at least, if I think of like moral precepts of Batman, two of the biggest ones are he doesn't use guns and he doesn't kill people. Right. Um, and it's funny because I remember hearing the debate about this, that some people have been like, well, but it's OK because he doesn't actually kill anybody with his guns in the factory. And so I went into it because I didn't honestly yeah. remember. And I was yeah. like, oh, yeah, you're right. He does. Oh, but then he drops bombs and kills people, and then later kills people with guns in the plane. Uh, so yeah, tell what, what's your talk about your feelings on this third act, and especially the these two questions of guns and killing. Yeah, so like I love the like I've got to go to work, but then like the yeah. work, like when I look at it in context and thinking of sort of you know my favorite aspects of Batman, I'm like, mm, mm. like it's cool when the car goes in and blows up the factory. And he doesn't shoot the people specifically. He drops a bomb. And, like, I guess they've got several seconds to try to evacuate. <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, the car's still driving out while the factory's blowing up, right? So, yeah. uh, you know, it could have given them a little bit more of a heads up. I, it, it, to me, is very like blowing up the Death Star. Mm-hmm. Because, the you know, the violence isn't aimed at the people. The people right. are incidental. Um, right. and, but like very, uh, significantly incidental, right? I mean, yeah. they get blowed up, but like, yeah. you know, the way, like when you blow up the Death Star, it's like, well, the goal is to destroy this thing that's causing harm. And here it's going to blow up the factory, which is this thing that's causing harm. Right. Right. But like with just total disregard for the lives of anyone in there. And it's like, yeah, there could be just factory workers in there. Right, you know, like it's like we only see like janitors, the, the night crew, right? Yeah, exactly. Like... So, you know, I don't like that. I think the fact that they don't specifically show, you know, the shooting, you know, the car shooting at the people, sort of like again, it's a little bit of a punt. It's a little bit of a sort of cinematic right. evasion. Well, except then we do see the guns on the Batwing, yeah. the flying things shoot. And and when we see, like, you know, random, you know, uh, Joker henchmen getting shot. Right. Although only one, like, it seems like that also is sort of incidental. Like, I think it deliberately, like, that is, aside from shooting at Joker, who he apparently um, can't possibly hit, I don't. Yeah. I don't know how, <laughs> how Batman in the Batwing misses a dude standing in a big purple suit right in front of him. You've got those three red circles, the targeting exactly, circles, the, circles. the video games lined up. Exactly. He shoots rockets. He shoots, like he does try to kill Joker in right. that moment. Yeah, exactly. Like, and, but like before that, it's mostly the violence is aimed at the float, which again is something that is trying to kill people, right? It's a yeah. device, but it, you know, it, yeah, I, I don't like it. I don't like those aspects yeah. of it. You know, um, the Batwing looks kind of awesome when it like flies up in front of the moon. I mean, that's yeah, it's a great super shot, super iconic, right? But like, but yeah, th- that whole you know, once once you get in your mind that Batman isn't someone who's going around trying to just like kill a bunch of criminals like Punisher, it's it is hard to kind of square that circle, and and it just doesn't you know that aspect of this movie doesn't line up with my. Um, view of Batman and I guess it feels less viscerally offensive than like you know the Batfleck because number one like it was actually one of my first things seeing Batman right so there's that and that's just you know you can't change that Um, but number two you know most of that is less on screen and it's not like that early in when we see him I don't know Mm -hmm. so it, it feels different even though like when you get down to it it's not. Yeah. No, I think it's a really good way to put it. Cause I, I, I was watching that last, that last third and being like, how is this our Batman? This is so not right. Batman. Yeah. And I think it's, it's, yeah, it, it's in part, I watched it when I was 12. It, it, it imprints on me in a lot of ways, you know? Um, and that's going to happen. It's in part, cause I kind of am able to look at it more like, I don't think this is the, I think one thing that often matters to me is the intentionality of the writers, mm-hmm. you know? And like, I think there's an extent to which today, like the Robert Pattinson movie is going to come out. I'm sure that the writers are very conscious of what version of the Batman story do they want to tell? And everything in the movie is going to be aligned to that vision of what Batman is and Batman should be. 
I don't think the writers of this were thinking, wait a minute, but Batman shouldn't kill. I think they were thinking, let's have a badass scene where he blows up the factory. Yeah, I mean, they also might have been thinking, oh shit, there's a writer's strike. Um, <laughs> the, oh, was there a writer's there strike? There was a writer's well? strike and they were doing rewrites and one of the main writers wasn't able to participate because he's a Writers Guild member. And then some other two people did some of the rewrites oh. with one of the writers who I guess wasn't a Writers Guild member. I don't I don't know all the details, but I was reading about it. I was like, oh, okay. Um, and originally, like, Joker was going to kill Vicky Vale and, like, okay. then Batman was going to kill Joker because, jo- you know, and, and so I think they're definitely, like, if you look at how this movie got made, the history of it, you know, which I haven't dug all the way into, but, like, Tim Burton supposedly, like, wasn't really into comic books, but, like, read right. The Killing Joke and read The Dark Knight Returns, and was like, oh, this is interesting. And then kind of cobbled some of that together with some writers to make a story. And I really do feel like, you know, this this Batman kind of didn't have a responsibility to previous Batmans, or wasn't within yeah. the context of previous Batmans besides, you know, the comics, which have been all over the place, right? And then... Um, you know, the 1966 series. Clearly they were trying to do something different from the 60s series. And right. to me, this movie is as much about the aesthetic and sort of the feel of Batman yeah. as it is about anything. And so I do feel like it's, you know, it's a 1980s movie. It feels a bit like a 1980s movie. There's certain things they do, you know, and some, it feels like a 1930s movie on purpose as well, right? But right. like it, I feel like as time goes on, it's a little reasonable to hold things to slightly increased standards. The way, you know, we just talked about on, on our Golden Girls episode, we were talking yeah. about, you know, you were saying like, yeah, this is a show that does a lot of things that were ahead of the time, but it doesn't do all of them perfectly. Yeah. And there's some spots where it kind of steps in it, right? And here I feel like it's the same with this movie where it's like, you know, 10 years later, I would hope that a movie's doing something a little better. 20 years later, even better. 30 years later, oh, what are you doing? And then 35 years yeah. later, okay, please, please, just come on. Or 30, 33 years later? How much later is it? Yeah. But like, you know, we'll see. Yeah. No, I think that's right. Yeah, because I think like, you know, I want to be clear, like I'm, I wasn't trying to make light of the, like the Vicky Vale being drunk in that scene. I, yeah. think, I think, yeah, like I think if that mo- if that scene were made today, I think it's going to cause a huge controversy mm. and rightfully so. And it's not that I think that that's a, uh, a good thing about this movie by any means. I think there's just some elements where it's like, yeah, this is a movie made in 1989. It doesn't make, doesn't make it okay, but it's, it's, we're talking about it in, in those terms. And, and yeah, with that, with some of the ideas of Batman, with some of the ideas of, of it playing. Yeah. It, it's a movie of its time, but I think it has a, a, a real influence. And I think you're right. That to, it kind of goes back to what I was saying about like, that this is my Gotham, you know, right. that it's the feel of it. It's the, I mean, one name we haven't talked about at all, but it's so linked to him, Burton, and I think makes the feel of this oh, movie absolutely. so good, is Danny Elfman. Yeah. You know, the music is just so perfectly evocative of what I think of as that, like, just gothic feel to it all. Yeah. Apparently, um, I think Burton wanted to use Danny Elfman, and I think the studio was like, mm, we're not sure. And then he scored the intro credits, which are amazing. Like, nothing happens in the intro credits. It's like yeah. we're taking on a tour of the Bat logo, right? But just like visually and audioly, uh, orally, um, with an AU, like yeah. we are introduced to the feel of the movie. And apparently after yeah. they heard that, they're like, oh, yeah, 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 that guy, that guy. Um, yeah. <laughs> and I will say, I think um, the juxtaposition, the, the compliment of Danny Elfman's score and, you know, the, the soundtrack, the songs by uh, the artist who is then currently known as Prince. Um, Minnesota resident. Yeah. Uh, I have to <laughs> give, give some... Give, uh, well, former Minnesota resident to that he's sure, sure, passed sure. on. Yeah. But yes, Not exactly. resident of anywhere. But, um, which, you know, I mean, Joker, Purple, Purple Rain, Prince. I mean, yeah, you know, yeah. It, it all lines up. But the soundtrack, the combination of the soundtrack and the score, I think, are um, so perfect for this. Because Danny Elfman... Yeah is so Batman, and then Prince feels so Joker in some ways. He really... Like, the the song that he wrote for that scene in the museum... Yes. It, like, I couldn't imagine it with any other kind of music. Right, you know? exactly. And the fact that Joker is always playing the music, mm-hmm. you know, and then turns it off, I think yeah. makes it... Like, it works for me in a way that, like, sometimes, you know, music scenes in movies feel very contrived. 
right. you know, where it's like, okay, now we're going to play a song and stuff's going to happen. And it's like when it's music that's in the scene, um, certain kind of music can play off a lot better, I think. And yeah. it really, I, I think it's a really hard. good point. Cause I was thinking about how much Prince and Danny Elfman, like those are not musical styles. I marry together right. very well, yeah. but you're right. It's so perfect. Cause it's Gotham and it's, and it's Joker and Joker's supposed to be this like glaring note against everything else that's happening. In exactly. Gotham. So, all right. Well, I think that kind of um, hits all the main things I wanted to hit. Um, the, the last question I was going to ask is, and I think we've kind of talked about it, but just, I'm going to ask this with all of them. So is this your Batman? Almost. Yeah. You know, mostly, I would say, yeah. You know, um, minus, you know, the, the third act, uh, not caring about the lives of janitors and, yeah. you know, and even, <laughs> even villains, right? Um, yeah. You know, I, I, I do think... The there isn't a nuanced idea of what you know criminality is and comes from, and that's that's something I'd like to see more of in Batman than actually is even there. But like here, right. just like shooting or blowing up a bunch of people, like yeah, not cool, Batman. But like aside from that, like visually, um, just the feel of this Batman is very much, very much my Batman. Yeah, yeah, I think I'd say that as well. I, it, it, it's definitely my Gotham. There's nothing about it except that last that uh, the. Not not just the the drunkenness, but just a lot of the interactions with Vicky Vale. I think are just again, it's very kind of like eighties portrayal of of the 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 damsel in distress. Right. Yes, yeah. You know, and he's very like you know he he you know he's very dismissive of her. He doesn't uh you know who uh, is Bruce? Bruce, yeah. He's dismissive. Well, in terms, of, well, I mean, one like they've slept together, and now she's trying to get a hold of him, and she's trying to like be in contact with him. Um, I, I don't. He, I think I know what you're saying, um, but yeah. I, I also feel like I, I kind of like their relationship around from aside from the mm-hmm. like, you know, it definitely like when she's like kind of drunk and like he's like, oh, okay. Like, I don't know. Like, that's something worth talking about. Right. Yeah. Um, but I, I do feel also like, like, I don't know. I feel like he appreciates her as a person in a way yeah, that's I think it's very, true. very clear. Um, he doesn't deal with her the best way. Um, yeah. and her, I think the story doesn't deal with her the best way either. Right. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think it's maybe a better way of putting it. It yeah. takes her from being this, you know, motivated, um, person with agency to basically just being a damsel in distress. And, uh, you know, we could, we yeah. can do better. And fortunately, you know, we have, unfortunately not often enough, you know, and, mm-hmm. um, and I mean, you don't see Vicky Vale in like any Batman stuff almost anymore. Right. Yeah, I think that's pretty true. And, um, you know, and so, yeah, I, I think you were kind of alluding to this. Like, there's a lot of things you can say that the next Batman movie doesn't necessarily improve on. In, in You know, Michelle Pfeiffer Catwoman is, as the female lead, a, a huge improvement, I think. Yeah. And nothing against Kim Basinger, but just the way that part was written. You know, she gets to have agency. She gets to be a real character yeah. in all sorts of great ways. Yeah, and I feel like Vicky Vale starts that way, and then they don't go with it in the, in, yeah. toward, you know, as it goes on. Exactly. All right, so any other last things you wanted to bring up? Yes, I was wondering whether during um, minute 69 of this film, when uh, the Batmobile did something and then um, some cars, the Joker's cars and the cop cars, crash into a big um, truck with produce in it, whether I was the only person who was thinking, my cabbages! (laughs) I was not okay. I was I was thinking in that like yeah Batman doesn't kill anybody he just caused this eight car crash when 1980s safety standards in cars <laughs> everyone's fine I'm sure yeah, I'm sure they're fine I'm sure they're fine I'm more worried about I think it was actually cauliflower but maybe there was some okay. cabbage in there and cauliflower and I, cabbage are said very similarly in a language I'm learning. Didn't notice, so, but I, I, I like the Avatar reference. Yeah, just so. check it out. Just look at minute 69, like 108 something something. It's, there's, okay. there's definitely, there's, there's, it looks like cabbages rolling on the street. Anyway. Um, <laughs> and then also I had a thing about um, uh, Alfred being very passive aggressive. I was like, is Alfred always passive aggressive? You know, I don't want to see... Uh, I don't want to spend the rest of my life mourning my friends and and their mm-hmm. children. It's like okay, like you could just say like, "Hey, Bruce, don't get yourself killed," you know. Yeah. I don't know. I I think that's very Alfred. I think that's also very English Butler. <laughs> sure. You know, in that kind sure. of like, 
because he does work for Bruce and he doesn't like he he's he's never able to kind of quite be quite so direct or when he is it's all the more effective but yeah it's a little like we've seen this a bunch right um and you know maybe this was the first one of that but yeah um I, I also just I, I guess I'll close on the line decent people shouldn't live here <laughs> that's how I feel about earth yeah. <laughs> very fair very fair all right well thank you so much this is gonna be a really fun series i'm looking forward to doing more of these Me uh too. We'll kind of intersperse them there's no way we're gonna do all of them before the batman movie comes out uh march 8th but we're gonna get to a bunch and we'll probably keep doing some of them afterwards um anyway paul what uh what's the zen madman up to these days uh yeah the, the zen madman is uh madmanning um I, that sounds like kind of like a, a jokery kind of uh, name, actually. When I think about it, yeah, there's there's definitely an element to that. Yeah, um, yeah. I, I guess I've like actually been tweeting a little bit. I don't know how I feel about it, but uh, hopefully <laughs> I'll start I'll start making some stuff and maybe even maybe even blogging a little or some such. If if that nice. word were less awful, I might do it more often. But yeah. there you go, journaling, writing, journaling. just writing. I'm just gonna yeah. say writing. I might start writing and publishing it on the interwebs. There okay. you go. Of course, you can find uh, this podcast is part of the, the po- this podcast you can find at theethicalpanda.com. There you can also find my uh, Star Wars Universe podcast. Where we're doing episode by episode reviews of the Book of Boba Fett. And we'll actually be getting back to Star Wars Rebels as well. A lot of great Star Wars content. Uh, please check out that. Please check out all the other uh, podcasts that I do. Um, Please check out that. And of course, if you want to give feedback, we want to know what you think. Is this your Batman? Is this your Gotham? Is this... Uh, had you, for someone who didn't grow up on this movie, did you maybe go back and watch this after watching the Christian Bale or the animated series? Would love to hear what you think of it. Let us know. You can go to theethicalpanda.com. There you'll find all our contact information, email, Facebook, Twitter. Let us know what you think. Would love to hear from you. I'm at myself, Paul, everyone else involved. Thank you all so much and have a great day. <laughs>